Welcome to the audio version of my Rwanda travel blog. Thanks for listening. If you want to read along and see some of the pictures, go to my website, keywordsbykenny.com. That's keywordsxkenny.com. And check out the experiences during residency portion. There you will find week one and week two. Thanks for coming back to listen to the Kigali Tapes part two. Just to catch you up a little bit, the core group of us from Brown University were Sarah, myself, and Dr. Shymal Asher. Dr. Asher had to head back home to be with his young son, so in the meantime, Danny Bowie was coming from Rhode Island. We were picking him up from the airport on Saturday, and he was going to be with us for the rest of the week. Listen along as we get into more academic days, intraoperative teaching, teaching in the ICU, and still eating really good food across Rwanda. Week 2 in Rwanda. Day 8, Sunday, March 12th, 2023. After sleeping in another morning this weekend, we went back to our favorite local coffee spot, Question Coffee. They just have such nice views and really good coffee, making it a no-brainer, especially when it's a quick three-minute walk from our place. After a light breakfast with some banana bread and lemon cake, we headed up to a hotel to see if we can get a taxi to Mount Kigali. This was one of the local sites that people had been telling us to see and it definitely lived up to the hype. We were determined to do a little hiking today. As our taxi driver took us up to the welcome center at the base of the mountain where they had lots of activities for kids and opportunities for a guided tour, we were feeling adventurous enough to figure out the route on our own. Soon enough, we eventually found out where we needed to go. The beginning of the hike was pretty dusty and pretty hot, but after about 10 to 15 minutes of walking, we entered this forest area that was like a sanctuary. Between the shade and the breeze, it felt like Mother Nature's version of air condition. The air in this area seemed more pure and filled with oxygen. As we walked through the forest, we first ran into a group of people that looked like they were filming some type of project. One person had a camera, another had a long microphone, one person was carrying a guitar, and the other person in the center of it all was painting a portrait of trees using sunset colors. There were different shades of red, orange, and yellow. They were extremely friendly people and told us that they were filming a movie. Right after this, we quieted our voices as we passed by a group of local Rwandans doing a yoga class. Sarah asked if we could join along, but I could tell by their last pose that they were in, Shavasana, that the group class was probably at its tail end. We continued walking and we eventually found the lookout point that Danny remembered from last year. This had some breathtaking views of massive rolling hills throughout the center of Kigali. You could truly appreciate all the peaks and valleys and all the communities that built houses along the steep terrain. We continued to hike around Mount Kigali and ran into more people along the way. One group of tourists was being led by Mr. Kigali himself, who was Shamal and Danny's city tour guide from last year. We also ran into a lady who was working in the heat with the sun beating down on her as she was breaking up rocks and stone for future construction projects. As we passed, she smiled and waved at us as if nothing could be bothering her. After hiking around for about 30 minutes, we made our way back to the sanctuary forest. Sarah wanted to spend some time meditating here, so I introduced the group to the concept of box breathing. This pattern of breathing is 5 seconds of inhaling, 5 seconds of holding your inhale, 5 seconds of exhaling, and then 5 seconds of holding your exhale. The idea is that you can focus on your breathing if you feel like your mind is wandering, but eventually you can get to a point where you're breathing without thinking and you can absorb the sounds around you. After five minutes, we all opened our eyes with a peaceful soul and a deeper appreciation of the forest around us. Once we left Mount Kigali, we headed over to the convention center. 
This was a building that you could see pretty much from any part of the city if you had the right elevation. At nighttime, you would see lights circling around the building with different colors, giving the illusion that the building itself was spinning. When we got here, we unfortunately couldn't tour the facility because the FIFA conference was taking place that afternoon. They did point us in the direction of the Radisson Blue Hotel, where we caught some respite, had some water, juice, and snacks in their fancy hotel lobby. I asked the receptionist how much a night to stay here cost, and she told me the cheapest room was $250 a night, and the most expensive suite was $15,000 a night, which the King of Qatar had just stayed at recently and paid $20,000 a night. She offered to have one of us tour the most expensive room, but I wasn't super comfortable seeing luxury in this type of setting, so I politely declined. After leaving the hotel, we headed to the Genocide Memorial. This was one of the heaviest parts of the trip emotionally so far. The tour started with a nine-minute video interviewing survivors of the genocide who talked about the moments they had escaped and how their families were left behind and attacked by the Hutus. I was filled with sadness hearing and reading about the neighbors and the friends, including children, who would turn on their neighbors and friends and give up their hiding spots with the goals of eliminating the Tutsis from Rwanda. And then my sadness turned into anger, realizing that genocides like this don't just spring up overnight, and much of the hateful speech and thinking came from years of Belgian propaganda creating hate between these two ethnic groups. The next overwhelming feeling was realizing that the international community, including the U.S., completely ignored what was happening in Rwanda and delayed their aid to help end the genocide. It's truly remarkable when you realize how recently this all happened and to think how appreciative the people of Rwanda are to foreigners. It's heartbreaking to think that governments around the world allow the killing and destruction of a country that they previously had interest in when it was convenient for them. It really made me reflect on what my role was here in Rwanda for this trip. My hope is that the work that we are doing is empowering for the anesthesia trainees to continue to improve the healthcare safety and availability in their home country. After debriefing a bit amongst ourselves on the ride home, we started to make dinner plans. We first stopped by a local art cafe that wasn't too far from our ultimate dinner destination. We ordered juice and African tea at the cafe and walked around the art gallery as we waited for our drinks. The artwork had themes of women empowerment and generational connections amongst Rwandans. The pride for their country certainly stood out in their artwork. We met someone who's a photographer and a protege of the main artist for the cafe. He showed us some of his photographs of various musical artists that played at their local Kigali venue. Once we finished our juices, we headed to a traditional East African restaurant called Chez John. The menu was a bit difficult for us to decipher, so we ended up asking our waiter to bring out enough dishes that would allow us to eat family style with different styles of meats and sides. He did an excellent job bringing out delicious food with the perfect portion sizes for our group. We all left with bellies full of new flavors and dishes we had never tried before. When we returned home for the night, Sarah and I taught Danny Monopoly Deal. There was a similar progression for Danny that I saw Shamal and Sarah go through, where it took a few rounds to get the hang of the rules. But once they tasted victory, their competitive side really came out. With Danny, Sarah and I didn't hold back the first few rounds. We were stealing all of his cards and making him earn everything in the game. This definitely helped bring out his competitive side, and once he finally won, it was the most excitement I had seen from him in a long time. We played a bunch more rounds until we all got tired. Ending the night with card games is one of my favorite ways to connect with a group of friends. Day 9, Monday, March 13th, 2023. Today was our last academic day with all the residents and the start of our last week in Rwanda, so we had to seize the day. 
We started by carrying the supplies that we brought with us up the two miles of hills to the hospital and gave them to the anesthesia staff who helped stock their workroom. They were so excited to receive epidural needles, regional block needles, and double lumen tubes. After handing off the supplies, we attending morning report where the overnight resident presented a patient who sounded very septic, was in DKA, and ultimately remained intubated and on pressors in the PACU. This was the first morning report where most of the discussion was in French. It sounded like there were some very sensitive conversations happening, with a few English words breaking through the French. Most notably phrases like, you should call me anytime you feel uncomfortable, and this could be malpractice were being used. The resident I was sitting next to tapped me on the leg and said he'll catch me up on the conversation after morning report was done. Ultimately, it sounded like a case of a patient who was inadequately resuscitated and had little to no preoperative workup. His most recent labs were from a few days ago. But this patient ended up in the operating room theater for what was being considered an emergent surgery by the surgical team. The biggest takeaway from this morning report was communication is key and the preoperative assessments should never be taken for granted, even if the surgical team is rushing you into the theater. The residents continued their practice of dividing into two groups and collecting thoughts about their learning objectives for the day. Then we came back into the full group to discuss and write out what we chatted about in our small groups. I really like this form of lecturing because it gets the residents out of their chairs, keeps everyone engaged, and shifts the ownership of the material onto the learners. The best part is there seems to be no hesitancy or shyness amongst the residents when they're working together. After going over the three learning objectives, we then took a quick break before jumping into the case presentation for the second half of the morning. Before the break, I made a quick announcement about the video project I had in mind that involved interviewing any resident that wanted to participate. I would be asking them about three questions revolving around Rwanda and anesthesiology. During the break time, Isaac, one of the residents, quickly approached me and was the first eager participant for my project. After I interviewed him, it was time to gather again and finish up our case-based discussion before lunch. When it was time for lunch, Justin, who's one of the chief residents, asked to speak with me outside. I could tell it was about my project before he said anything. He wanted me to run the project by their program director, Dr. Francois, before going ahead and recording the rest of the residents. This seemed like a totally reasonable request, but since I hadn't interacted much with Dr. Francois or know where to find her, I had Justin set up a quick meeting. We met her at the pediatric OR. Dr. Francois had a strong presence about her probably based on the position that she held and the amount of work that she was doing on a daily basis. Justin nervously explained to her why he brought me, but I quickly took over the explanation knowing that this was my place to talk about the project. After telling me that she wanted to see the final product before I did anything with it, she agreed to let me proceed with interviewing the residents. I trust my residents will have the appropriate answers to your question, she said with confidence. Justin had a huge sense of relief about himself. He told me, now if anything went wrong, he couldn't be blamed for anything as chief resident. I was getting the sense that freedom of speech felt restricted in Rwanda, probably reflecting the authoritarian leadership in their government. My first question I wanted to ask the residents was, why do you love Rwanda? This was something that Justin was concerned would come off as too political. But others, including Dr. Francois, seemed to think it would be okay to discuss. I simply wanted to bring some light to the locals' perspective about their own country for an audience of people who probably only views Rwanda through the lens of Hotel Rwanda. This movie certainly had a huge influence on my perspective before coming to this country. After our lunch break, we gathered back together for the afternoon portion of the academic day. Our goal was to discuss double lumen tubes and single lung ventilation. Sarah started the lecture with chalk talks about respiratory physiology leading into the indications and contraindications of single lung ventilation. 
After she was done, I had the residents gather around a table where I went over the anatomy of a double lumen tube. Our original goal was to use one of the airway mannequins to demonstrate how to isolate the left and the right lungs. Unfortunately, the double lumen tubes weren't able to be passed through the vocal cords of the mannequin, so we had to do a quick pivot to another plant. So instead of doing a simulation, we decided to use Sarah's Rapid Review for Oral Boards book to go through a scenario of single lung ventilation. This was the first time they had been exposed to an oral board style lecture, and it seemed like they absolutely loved it. We ended up calling up a new resident for each question, and every time we came to a new question, the resident was so eager to get into the hot seat. Sarah and I did our best at being an apathetic, monotone oral boards examiner and gave little feedback as the residents answered the questions. Once we got to the end of the scenario, we reviewed some of the questions that the residents had missed. Then we had Danny Bowie conclude the afternoon session by going over his strategies for addressing hypoxia during one lung ventilation. On our way home from work, we stopped at a Pakistani restaurant called Lahori. Danny and Asher had been raving about this place, so I was excited to check it out for dinner. It was at the top floor of a corner building of a busy intersection. The restaurant was covered by a roof, but the sides of the location were exposed to the elements. This became quite obvious once a rainstorm started to come into town. It started as a subtle drizzle that didn't seem to affect us much, but it eventually turned into a massive downpour with strong winds that was blowing the rain sideways. The rain started to get onto our tables, our plates, and our silverware, but we all acted like it was cool and nothing was happening. The waitstaff eventually had us move to another table that was slightly further away from the exposed edges of the restaurant. This seemed to solve our problem momentarily, until we noticed that the floor was beginning to flood and our bags were getting wet. Another issue that we had that night was the power had gone out, so as the dark clouds came in and the sun set, we were never really able to see what our food looked like. But every dish that was on our table was incredibly delicious. Maybe our taste senses were heightened in a scenario where we were blinded to what we were looking at, and also being on the top floor of a building during what felt like a natural disaster. When we asked for the bill and a box for the leftovers, I shined the light from my phone onto the leftover food, and this was the first time that we had seen what we were eating. It was probably one of the most memorable meals of the trip. When it was time to head home, we waited on the ground floor of the building as the rain continued to pour. We were hoping to find a taxi that would take us a short distance home. While we were waiting, Sarah asked somebody if they could help us grab a taxi. This man immediately ran into the pouring rain to find a taxi for us. It was a remarkable act of selflessness. It didn't take long to find a cab, but we watched as he scurried from corner to corner, checking cars to see if they were available, jumping around to avoid deep puddles in the streets. I sat up front for the car ride home, and it was one of the most terrifying rides of my life. The car's AC was not working well enough to defog the front window, so the driver would periodically wipe the windshield with a rag to improve visibility. Although there was only one real close call of getting into a car accident, I was tensed up the entire ride as we maneuvered through the tight streets of Kigali with little to no visibility at times. Once we got home, we spent the rest of the evening playing more cards. I taught Danny another game called Egyptian Rat Slap, but we ultimately came back to Monopoly Deal and played until we were all tired for the evening. Day 10, Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Today was our first day heading to the county hospital called King Faisal Hospital. It was known to be a bit more advanced and specialized compared to Sehashka. We had to take a taxi instead of walk because it was a bit further from our apartment, closer to the Kigali airport. Once we arrived, the infrastructure of the hospital was notably impressive and modernized. We ran into one of the residents, Eric, who was able to show us where to change for the day. 
After changing into scrubs, we attended morning report where they discussed the overnight cases, which mainly sounded like a busy night in the OB department. One of the notable things in both morning reports at Sehushka and KFH is that they both included prayer at some point during their meeting, giving insight into how much religion is incorporated into their culture. After morning report, I went to the ICU to round with the KFH team for the day. One of the anesthesia residents, Justin, was able to show me around. There were two emergency medicine residents on the service as well. The first patient we were attending to was a male who was involved in a physical altercation resulting in a subdural hematoma. The patient was getting ready to be extubated. Justin and I discussed the extubation criteria from a head-to-toe assessment. The next two patients were pediatric patients in the same unit as the adults. The first patient was a girl who had pot disease. When Justin asked me if I knew what this was, I embarrassingly had to say no, and he explained to me that she was suffering from one of the most extreme sequelae of extrapulmonary tuberculosis. The infection had reached her spine and started to create osteolytic lesions and scoliosis. She had already undergone the corrective spine surgery, but was still recovering from a pulmonary and nutritional standpoint. Her mother was at the bedside, feeding her spoonfuls of what looked like medicine mixed with flavor ice. We also saw a patient who was a transfer from the neighboring country of the DRC, or the Democratic Republic of Congo. He was the only Caucasian in the unit, and there was little to nothing known about who this person was. There were only clinical signs pointing towards a mixed picture of cardiogenic and septic shock. In the past couple of days since he had arrived, he had been heading in the wrong direction and was getting sicker and sicker. We wandered over to the other side of the unit, known as the HDU, or the High Dependency Unit. This was their equivalent of a step-down unit. We went to evaluate a patient who was suffering from hypoxia with his O2 sats hovering around the mid-70s until Justin came over and cranked up the oxygen to the max level possible. Then his O2 sats improved to the mid-80s. The ED resident grabbed the ultrasound and started to evaluate the lungs and the heart. We gathered that this patient was suffering from pulmonary edema along with an IVC that was showing pretty severe collapsibility. The patient had recently undergone a lung biopsy, but the diagnosis had not come back yet. A chest x-ray confirmed our suspicion of pulmonary edema and they placed the patient on BiPAP to help improve his oxygenation. He ultimately became too anxious wearing the mask and due to his intense work of breathing, the team elected to intubate him. While this was going on, there was a four-month-old patient who was post-op from a VP shunt and did not have any IV access. The patient was severely dehydrated and the team was struggling to find any locations for access. I suggested grabbing the ultrasound to see what veins were available, but even with the ultrasound, there was nothing visible that would be viable for an IV. When the pediatric team rolled around, they saw the team struggling to get access and suggested switching over to PO hydration with an NG tube. This was a bit of a defeating way to end the day, but afterwards I met up with Danny and Sarah and we walked to a local spot for some lunch. It was a smallish cafe that was offering a lunch buffet for about $3. It seemed like it was full of people who were on their lunch breaks or who were finishing up work for the day in the nearby area. After we finished our plates, we walked towards the center of town and happened upon an ice cream shop. Given the heat at that time of day, Dan and I were both interested in trying some local ice cream and it hit the spot. After getting home for the rest of the afternoon, there wasn't too much more for us to do in terms of work, so I was able to convince Danny to go on a run before the rain came. The first half of the run, like always, consisted of running uphill for about one and a half miles. Like the previous time, this portion was more of a jog, walk, jog, and then walk some more. Once we got to the flat portion of town, we turned around and ran back home downhill. 
We cooled off outside of the apartment, and Danny and I had some conversations about how we see global health fitting into our future careers. I think it's really powerful that Danny was able to show the initiative to come back to Rwanda a second time. It proves that this experience can happen again if you put the time and effort into making it happen. Once the rain started to trickle in, we came inside and I put on a yoga video for us to finish our cool down with some stretching. For dinner, we went to a dim sum restaurant that the group went to last year. It was a pretty westernized restaurant based on the prices and the international clientele that were there. We were meeting up with a medical student from UT Southwestern who Sarah and Danny had run into at King Faisal Hospital. Her name was Sam and she was spending two months in Rwanda between her second and third year of medical school. She was working on a project that aimed to create an online app that would enable perioperative staff to enter medical information into an online database that could be used to evaluate the perioperative mortality in Rwanda. We met her at the restaurant and Sarah and her immediately hit it off. They were talking almost nonstop about their passion for global health. Once we were done with dinner, we convinced Sam to join us for some karaoke at our favorite local bar. Once she heard we would be going out for the third time in a week, I think she was sold that she had to check it out. Every time we have gone, the main singer does not disappoint. He was again dressed to the nines and was singing some classic love songs, giving the effect that we were at a wedding. One of the funnier observations of the night was that when we got to Ikigai on the earlier side, he was all about having us sing the songs that we requested. But as the night progressed, the place filled in with more local Rwandans, and again it seemed like everyone was more talented than the previous person singing. We knew it was our time to stop singing and just appreciate the beautiful voices around us. In particular, there was a group of three people who all came in at the same time. One singer first sang Ed Sheeran and then a song in Kenya Rwandan, the local language, both of which were beautiful, but hearing him sing in his home tongue was just magical. The second person, who was a girl, absolutely crushed a Whitney Houston song, showing off her incredible range. And finally, the last person sang an English song that had a country twang to it, and he absolutely killed the vocals to it. There was no room for us to sing anymore after this display of talent, but it made for another fun and memorable night at Ikigai. Day 11, Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. Morning report today was mostly a discussion about massive transfusions, how it is defined, and what the potential complications are. Dr. Francois led the question asking by starting with medical students and then her residents and then ultimately asking me how we differentiate between taco and trolley. It was a great refresher on the topic and a good reminder that anesthesiologists are experts in resuscitation, which becomes very relevant in obstetrics and trauma cases. Our plan for the day was to join one of the residents, Robert, in the ICU for rounds. He told us rounds weren't starting until 10 a.m., so we took the time to have some African tea at a nearby restaurant. Now that I'm only a few months away from starting my critical care fellowship, I can truly appreciate how excited I am about starting that journey. I really enjoyed rounding with the team today and felt like I had something to offer educationally for almost every patient. The ICU was an eight-bed unit with all but one patient being ventilator dependent. One of my favorite parts about the day was practicing focus on every patient. The best part was this wasn't even my idea. Robert wanted to use the ultrasound to scan everyone. I was able to give him some pointers along the way in terms of obtaining views and practicing a complete and systematic exam every time. For example, the biggest point of interest for him and the attending was to look at the IVC to assess volume status. I continued to push him to do a full cardiac exam, starting with a parasternal long axis view, 
and then ending with a subcostal four chamber view, which then you can rotate 90 degrees and then find the IVC. Our last patient had great echo windows and had some pathology that made for great discussion and direction for management. He was an elderly male who had been trached and was tachypnic while on supplemental oxygen via a T-piece. The team ended up putting him back on the ventilator to help reduce his work of breathing. Our ultrasound exam showed pleural effusions as well as a plump IVC. This also led to diuretics being ordered to reduce some of the hypervolemia that the patient was suffering from. While Danny and I spent the day in the ICU, Sarah had gone back to King Faisal to meet up with Sam to learn more about her research project and see how she could help out. It sounds like it was a very beneficial day for Sarah, making connections with the people of King Faisal and also the PI of the research project, who happens to be a big name in global anesthesia in the US. By the evening time, she had received an email from this person that was very personalized and eager to work with Sarah in the future after her fellowship training. This just put Sarah on cloud nine. This was just another example on this trip of taking the steps of showing up to a situation and having things fall into place at the right time and the right place. When Danny and I left the hospital, we were hungry for a snack, so we decided to stop at Lahori again. The owner recognized us from the previous night when it was catastrophically storming and told us to sit in the more sheltered part of the restaurant this time. After we ordered our food, the waitress also recognized us and invited us to sit inside of what seemed like their only private room in the restaurant. I think they appreciated our dedication to come back. But honestly, the food was so good, our natural disaster dinner night could have been much worse and we probably still would have come back. It was a good thing that we went to the private room because it started raining again while we were eating. After we were done eating, we scurried in the rain to a local grocery store to pick up some African tea and hot sauce to bring back home. Once we got home, we passed some time before dinner with playing cards and Farkle, which is a dice rolling game. The competitiveness of the group continued to heighten from the beginning of the trip. We were getting so loud that some of Sarah's shrieks made Danny's watch give him an alert that he was in a loud place that was at risk for causing him hearing loss. Once the rain had settled down a bit, we walked over to Ikigai, this time for dinner instead of karaoke. It was considerably more empty than we had ever seen it. I think at one point we may have been the only customers while we were eating. Their menu consisted of food we would consider bar food back home, but the quality and the portion sizes, given their prices, were incredible. Danny and I both got steaks and fries that were delicious, and we watched Sarah put down a full chicken. We are really fortunate to have this location so close to our apartment, especially since it's been such a rainy week. The waiter has also gotten accustomed to seeing us and gets so excited every time we come in. Knowing that this was probably our last time there, we grabbed a picture with him before we said, see you later for now. Day 12, Thursday, March 16th, 2023. Our last full day in Kigali was a packed one. We started the day by heading to the OB ward. We were invited there by Dr. Edward, who was rounding in the ICU with us yesterday. When we arrived, we found him in one of the GYN operating theaters after they had just induced a patient who was having some tachycardia. After the patient stabilized from induction, he took us around the unit to show us the different areas, such as the C-section rooms, labor and delivery, and a makeshift ICU room that was reserved for patients with severe peritonitis who would come from district hospitals postpartum and in very sick conditions. One of the things he was showing us in labor and delivery was their epidural protocols that had been created by an anesthesiologist from Duke. Dr. Edwards said that a couple years ago, he had created an epidural service, but since he has been gone from Sehushka for several months, that service has died down due to the lack of supplies. 
It seemed like something he was hoping to get started again in the near future. When we were in the C-section room, there was a UGH medical student there as well. We took the time to go over some topics related to spinal anesthesia, such as the properties of local anesthetics, dermatomal levels and the block height goals for C-sections, and differential blockade. After spending some time in the OB ward, I broke off from the group to go back to the ICU. There were only two residents rotating at Sehushka this week based on everyone's schedule, and they were alternating 24-hour calls in the ICU. So today, William was there. The senior consultant in the ICU for the day was a recent graduate from the anesthesia program. Her name was Angelique. Rounds were disrupted this morning by a very, very sick patient who came in hypotensive and struggling to breathe. He had just been transferred from the HDU, or the high dependency unit, with a differential diagnosis of either severe tuberculosis or some type of malignancy. Angelique did a remarkable job stabilizing and intubating him. After the intubation, a couple of the family members came back for an update. Most of the scenario was happening in French, but a lot of the actions that were taking place were not too far off from her own ICU practices, and I've been in plenty of family meetings to know how that discussion was going. After stabilizing this patient, we rounded on a few of the sicker patients in the unit, and William got to practice his POCUS skills. It never got old watching their excitement to be able to practice what they had just learned last week. The same patient from yesterday with the pleural effusions and B-lines was improving slightly, but still had recognizable pathology on ultrasound. After a break for lunch, William asked if I could walk him through placing an ultrasound-guided central line. He said he had done a bunch of blind central lines, since a lot of their other hospital sites didn't have ultrasounds readily available. We decided to do this after lunch. When I came back from lunch, there was a family crying hysterically outside of the ICU. The patient that Angelique had resuscitated earlier in the day ended up passing away while I was gone for lunch. It wasn't too surprising that this was going to be his ultimate prognosis based on how sick he was, but the timeline of it all took everyone by shock. Even William seemed a bit distracted, scrolling silently through his phone while I sat next to him as they wheeled the body out of the ICU with a family close by. All it took was me asking if he was okay, and I think he realized how much his emotions were showing in that moment. He quickly jumped up and got back to work, gathering supplies for the central line. Even though I put sterile gloves on to hand him some of the equipment, he pretty much already knew what he was doing and needed very little assistance. The only real pointers I had for him was to stabilize his ultrasound hand with his pinky or ring finger to avoid collapsing the vessel with the pressure of the probe, and to find the tip of his needle and position it in the center of the internal jugular vein once he thinks he's inside, to ensure that he hasn't gotten through and through, and to confirm that he's not in the carotid artery before going in with the wire and dilator. Then we use the ultrasound to confirm the wire placement before dilating the skin and the neck muscles. From start to finish, the procedure must have lasted less than 10 minutes, impressive for a PGY2. But it sounds like at nighttime, they were basically on their own and had to figure these things out. The rest of the evening was focused on networking for our last day in Rwanda. Our first stop of the night was meeting up with Angelique at a cafe called Camila's. There are multiple cafes with this name within a small radius in Kigali. Somehow Angelique and I found each other while looking for the correct one where Danny and Sarah already were. The two of them definitely found the best Camila's location, which was located in a mall that we hadn't been to yet. This restaurant was located on the top floor with gorgeous views of the hills of Rwanda, lit up by houses and streetlights. Even at the end of this trip, I never got over how beautiful this site was. Sarah really wanted to connect with one of the few women attendings at Sehushka, so we got to know Angelique's life pretty well after this meetup. 
I think it's a valuable connection to make so that when Sarah returns during her fellowship year, they can pick up right where they left off. Angelique clearly enjoyed showing off her kids and talking about her life outside of work. After this meetup, we headed to Kanakazada to meet up with a Partners in Health Global Health fellow, Callum, who had been living in Rwanda for almost two years now. His main objective was working on the curriculum for the UGH medical students rotating through anesthesia. Sam, the medical student from UT Southwestern, also joined us here for dinner. We had a live show of singing and dancing with what seemed like the wait staff and possibly some additional singers, dancers, and drummers, going through a variety of 15 to 20 minute performances throughout our time there. The first time they paused, we thought that was it for the night and got into deep conversations with Callum about his life story. But once our food started coming out, the performances started up again and the volume and stimulation was just too much to have dinner conversation. All eyes and ears were on these performers. At one point, they even had us stand up from our tables and join them in dancing. It was honestly a nice dinner break to make room for some more food. Callum had a pretty fascinating life and an anesthesia training story, with plans of incorporating climate change mitigation and adaptation into the medical field for his future career goals. Once we said goodbye to him for the night, Sam joined back with us at our apartment for some card games. She picked up the games very quickly and managed to play quite a few rounds of Egyptian rat slap before there was an ultimate winner of the game. After listening to more about her story, she is definitely someone who has a bright future in global anesthesia, especially starting with her career path at such an early time in medical school. As we said our final goodbyes to her, we encouraged her to keep in touch along the way as she navigates the rest of medical school and gets closer to the residency application season. I imagine our paths will probably cross again if all four of us continue to focus on global health in our careers. This focus within anesthesia certainly attracts a specific personality type, and we all got along really well in a short amount of time. With the global anesthesia circle being so small in the U.S., I imagine names and faces will start to come up over and over again as we seek out opportunities for research and outreach projects in the future. Day 13, Friday, March 17, 2023. Our final morning at Sehashka. It's always an odd feeling knowing that your time in a foreign place must come to a conclusion and you have to return back to the normal routine of life. All you can hope for is that the lessons and values you've gained on a trip like this can withstand the daily grind that is a healthcare system in America. Luckily, I feel like I can rely on my colleagues who I traveled with to be supporting peers to check in with and reminisce on our time in Rwanda. Morning report consisted of going over the overnight cases again. They had two cases of children swallowing coins and requiring an EGD. Apparently, this is also a very international experience. Then Robert presented on anesthetic managements for aortic regurgitations. This led to a discussion amongst the providers in the room. After the conversations wrapped up and everyone left, we said our goodbyes to Dr. Francois. She had a big smile ear to ear and thanked us repeatedly for our work the past two weeks. We emphasized that our time here showed that the program was in great hands and that they were training amazing future anesthesiologists for the country of Rwanda to provide safe and equitable surgical conditions for their people. She ended the conversation with, you guys are welcome anytime. A simple but beautiful goodbye to three foreigners from the small state of Rhode Island. We ended up coming home after morning report to nap and pack before starting our long journey home. It ended up working out perfectly because once we got home, another severe thunderstorm rolled through town. After packing our bags, we had one more meal together. We walked up to a cafe called Indabo Cafe that was highly recommended by the previous Cassiev volunteer. This was our first time going, but I'm glad we checked it out. 
It felt like a cafe that was dropped in the middle of a rainforest. The rain certainly helped create the ambiance, but the aesthetics were on point. We again had delicious meals, even though I ordered something as simple as a chicken wrap. The three of us did our last little bit of debriefing the trip and were continuing to talk about how we can carry the values and perspectives we gained on this trip back home. We also talked about how it can be difficult to convey just how your trip went without people having any reference point for what it was like to walk around the streets of Rwanda and the hospital corridors of Sehashka. We agreed to hold each other accountable to keep our attitudes positive as Sarah and I finish our last three months at Rodan Hospital. We have bright futures ahead of us, and it's clear that we can go even further when we do things together. This is the conclusion of the Kigali Tapes. Thanks for listening along to my travel blog. If you want to read more or check out some of the pictures, go to my website, keywordsbykenny.com. That's keywordsxkenny.com. And check out the experiences during residency section. There you will see a page for week one and week two in Rwanda. That's where you'll find dozens of photos that go through the chronicles of the trip. Thanks again for listening along. I really hope you enjoyed it.